0: Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. So thankful for you today. I'm so happy to be starting a new series with you this morning called From Brokenness to Blessing. I do believe this will be a blessing to all of you. We're going to spend the next eight weeks together going through the Beatitudes from uh, Matthew chapter 5, those blessings of Christ that he shared with us on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to break each one of those down and just examine why it is that those things that seem like brokenness are actually the very things that can lead to blessing in Christ Jesus. That this thing Jesus does again and again, and, and the Sermon on the Mount is one of those kind of pinnacle moments, if you will, of him doing this very thing, of turning the things that the world says are uh, less than or, or not admirable, the kinds of things you should avoid. He takes those very things and says, those things are blessed. Those, like the first shall be last, the one who serves shall be the leader. The, these things that Christ does, these paradoxical statements, and just see together how true they really are. And how Christ is at work in these blessings. The first is this. I want to share it with you. And then we're going to use a passage from Romans to really dive deeper into what Christ has said. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. On the mount, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, it says, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. And he said this first statement of blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs... Is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now that's an odd thing to say. That's an odd thing to feel like that's blessed. The word here, blessed, is makarios, which means supremely joyful, happy, blessed. Blessed to the max, he says. And Jesus says the way in which we get that is admitting our brokenness. That poor in spirit, that is this idea of having an honest assessment, an honest confession that I am not enough. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Jesus says in order to be blessed, it begins with admitting helplessness, powerlessness, brokenness, so that maybe now you can be on the adventure of experiencing a life of blessing. Isn't that wild? That to begin the process of blessing begins with saying, I am. Am broken. Well, that's not the way most people would say you start. But it is the way Christ says we begin. He he did not say, blessed are the rich and powerful. We're going to go through the next eight weeks. He won't say that. In fact, he says something very different to the rich man. He says it's very difficult for the rich to come to faith. It's like passing a needle or passing a camel through the eye of a needle. Which is impossible. Very difficult to do. Because... Those who think they are great, those who think they're enough, have difficulty seeing their need for a Savior. Christ says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. One translation of that verse says, blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. This is your starting point, my friends, and this is why Christianity, to me, the words of Christ are so effective, how they ring so true in real life, because if we're honest with ourselves, we already know this is true. If we're honest, we'll say, I have problems, and each and every one of us have unique problems. I don't share the same sin, struggles, temptations, hurts, habits, and hang-ups that you do, but we both have them. And we're both wrestling through them. And Christ, instead of saying, in order to be blessed, you need to dump all of that and pretend it's not so, like so much of world religion, so much of our culture says, no, think higher of yourself. However you are, that's fine. Just be who you are, be yourself. No, Christ says, to the face of this great struggle, he says, blessed are those who will admit it, who will come to it and look at it and say, I'm not, I'm not perfect. And because of that, I need a Messiah. I need someone to stand in my place because I'm not enough. I'm not enough. That's an honest assessment. That's why I believe so, so truly this is, this is the word of God. Because we all are there. We all have things we have difficulty overcoming. Maybe old habits that we thought we defeated and they come back around. And we have to come to this verse all over again and say, You know what? Christ Jesus, I'm poor in spirit, but you are more than enough. You are more than enough. I want to give you a couple of lists in case for some reason you think you can check out. I want to give you no out this morning (laughs) because we're all struggling with some hurt, some habit, some hang up. And so here's the hurt list and probably you're on the hurt list somewhere. Perhaps you've been personally hurt by another. You've been abandoned. Maybe you have dealt with abortion, maybe abuse, some form of adultery. There's been betrayal in your life, death which almost all of us have faced on some capacity. Some of us, it's really hurt us to a point of brokenness, divorce, dysfunctional family, grieving, neglect, rape, rejection, unforgiveness. All of these are hurts. And if that wasn't enough, there's perhaps some habits you form, maybe because of hurts. Here's some habits. You can have abusive behavior. Maybe you struggle with addictions, eating addictions, overeating, gambling, gossip, you tend to isolate yourself. You do the very opposite of what God says to do. You say, when you're in the most struggling time, you go and get alone and struggle in your struggles all by yourself. You lie. You have integrity issues sexually. You're spending, you're working too hard. Addictions. Here's some hang-ups. Anger. Anxiety. I'm arrogant. <laughs> I wouldn't never say I'm arrogant. I'm too, I'm too good to be arrogant. I struggle with my image, I bully, I've been bullied, I'm codependent, I have control issues, I'm depressed, I'm fearful, I'm envious, I'm jealous, I'm guilty, I have a lack of self-control, I have lazy issues, which kind of has to do with the last one, that procrastination, materialism, all these, perfectionism. Did you find yourself in one of these lists? I certainly did. Here's the good news, church, so did I. So did every human who's ever walked the face of our planet, bar one, Christ Jesus, the sinless Savior. The rest of us, however, have to come to this recognizing the truth and saying, I am poor in spirit, Lord Jesus, and you say I'm blessed for that. I'm coming clean. Today's the coming clean message, okay? We're good with that. That's where we're going to spend some time today is coming clean with Christ because then suddenly he can bless us. He can begin to work the very things that we've been trying to handle and hold on to ourselves. We can't do it, but he can. And so here we go. How many of those are you struggling with? I bet it's a lot, and so am I. The Apostle Paul, when writing on this very issue, it's like he harnessed this very thought as he writes to the Roman church in chapter 7. He says to the Romans, How? Broken he was, and how that brokenness, how admitting that could move him towards God's blessing. We can see this too as we dive in today how admitting our brokenness can move us towards God's blessing. I think we're going to see three clear ways in that. Chapter 7 of Romans, verses 15 through 25. Let's read together. Here's what Paul writes to the Roman church I do not understand. My own actions. All right, I'm already with you, Paul. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? (laughs) Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Wow. Wow. Now, he may sound a little bit like a schizophrenic there for a moment, but he sounds like me, or I sound like him, and you sound like him all the time. I know you do. You may not admit that to others, but deep inside you're like, why is it I keep doing this very thing that I hate? Why do I keep doing it? Number one, how admitting our brokenness moves us towards God's blessing. The first is this, it recognizes the reason. Let's get to the reason, that is, our sin nature. The first step in admitting is saying, I have a problem. I know what it is. Here's the reason. It's my sin nature. Paul clearly defines that. The word sin here appears several times. And he kind of sounds strange, but I get what he's saying. He's saying, this because I am now in Christ Jesus, I am spiritually saved. I am destined for eternity. I am wholly, entirely God's. But there's this old man And he's already talked about that. If we spent more time through the book of Romans, he's already defined this attitude of there's the new man in Christ Jesus who I really am, but there's the old man who's not dead yet because I'm not in glory yet. And this creation, this place that I still am, is is in dysfunction. I'm fighting myself. And you feel that too? That this old nature, the thing you've been, maybe some of you may have come to Christ recently, or maybe you're still on this journey of trying to figure out what Christ is and what he's doing in your life. As we come to him, the the, the later in, in life we do this, the the more baggage we kind of bring into that scenario with us, and we sometimes step back into those old grave clothes, and we're old, we're the old Jonathan all over again, and we do that. Paul is saying this very thing. He's saying, Look, I recognize the problem. The problem is not my life in Christ Jesus, which is whole and complete. No, it's this dead sinful man that has not fully been dealt with. Not until Christ comes or takes me home. So he says, I do the very thing I don't want to do because of this sin nature. I, that, what, is, what is the point of that? What is the point of him saying that? He's reminding the Roman church perhaps of something that they really needed to hear and I think it's something we still really need to hear and that is quit lying. Quit Quit lying to yourself, quit lying to everybody else and saying it's all hunky-dory, we're fine, I'm being my true self. No, your true self is a dirtbag, you need to get rid of your true self. Your true self is actually in Christ Jesus. You're talking about your old sinful self which needs to die. No, stop lying about this whole situation. Paul says, I know very well what my problem is, it's that old sinful man. That's not yet been fully dealt with. But I'll tell you this much, I'm not going to let him rule in my life. I'm, I'm not going to make excuses for him anymore. I'm going to say, no, Christ thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ who has set me free from that captivity. No more lies. Six times in this passage he says, I want. In fact, a seventh he says desire, which is the same word. I intend, I will, I purpose, I desire, I wish. He's again and again talking about this idea, I am motivated to walk with Christ, but this thing that hangs me up is the sin nature. And it's the reason for our brokenness. This means we have to do something else. We can't, not only do we stop lying to ourselves and lying to others, we have to stop blaming people too. We have to stop saying, oh, it's such and such is fault. There's Sure, there's a litany of reasons why you've struggled with this pain, this suffering, this brokenness. There's a lot of reasons, and I'm not trying to make them invalid. However, at some point you have to say, I have a problem. These people aren't going to fix it that caused it. They're not going to fix it, and it's not going to go away on its own. So I have to say instead, no, I have a sin nature now that Christ alone can deal with. No more excuses, no more lying, no more blaming. Paul writes... Here in Romans 7, in another translation, it says in verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I've made a clear assessment of where I am. There's a brokenness in my life that only Christ can deal with. Period. And he has already said just a few passages earlier in Romans 3. He says, everyone has sinned. We are all, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. So if you come with any sense of honesty this morning, and I'm not just talking to believers. That's all of you this morning. Understand this. This is every human being. We have come to church this morning in the same state, having sinned and in desperate need of a Savior. Now here's what we do. Here's what we do as sinners. Here's what we do as human beings, and we're sinners. We step into God's place. We do this all the time. Believers do it too. We, sometimes we do it completely un, un, unintended. And we play this part of God trying to be in control. And there's a lot of things we try to control. We're trying constantly to control our image. Because to, to admit, as Paul did, and imagine this. Just pause for a moment. Imagine the Apostle Paul he sets a standard that I have difficulty following. The kind of standard where he spends the duration of the rest of his life after after coming to Christ, following the Lord, but going from town to town, witnessing, getting stoned to death, getting beaten, getting eventually killed for his faith. This is a man that I very much respect and would love to imitate as he imitated Christ that very man, that man writes to the Roman church and says, I do the sins I don't want to do all the time. And I don't want it anymore, but thanks be to God he has freed me from this captivity. That's an amazing thought that the Apostle Paul, one of the, where, where the main writer of the New Testament, does not try to control his image as we often do. I could go to y'all's. Social media is your Facebooks right now. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not saying go home and immediately take a default picture of you and your default state. None of us necessarily want to see that. But what we really do all the time is take the pictures of the glorious things that are happening in our life. There's never anything we post typically about the most awful things we're going through that day. Oh, let me. I know what my, I know what my Facebook profile should be. When I first wake up in the morning... There we go. When my eyes are partially, the cross side of my hair is doing this. And y'all know how I am about my hair. I'm not posting that. Not my hair all messed up. No, none of us make that our profile pic. But in truth, that's how we really feel that day. We woke up, maybe you woke up this morning and you're absolutely whooped. You're exhausted. Maybe you had a terrible fight yesterday. Maybe you had a terrible fight on the way here with your wife. I don't know. But you come in this place and it's, And I'm not saying you got to come right in the door and say, Pastor Jonathan, I almost punched my wife this morning. I don't need. I'm not saying that's what you do, but there's no there's no reason to put on this facade before God and before others, especially amongst believers. We try so hard to control our image. We try to control other people. We try to manipulate them to think everything's okay. No, admit your brokenness. We try to control our problems and our pain all the time. We try to cope with these things, these hurts, habits, and hang-ups we just read off. We are trying to deal with them, but often not with Christ. And sometimes we make new hurts, habits, and hang-ups with the very coping mechanisms we tried to use. So now we find new and awful addictions. Because what really started it was, I feel abandoned. I feel depressed, but now I have an addiction. The honest approach is this. Just as Paul said, I do the very things I don't want. I do the very things I hate, but thanks be to the Lord. He's the one who frees us from captivity. He's the freer. He's the rescuer. Will you recognize your reason first and foremost? Stop lying. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming. No, oh no, it's me. There, sure, there's a lot of things, but at the end of the day, it's my sin nature. Christ, you deal with it. It's yours and yours alone to conquer. And I'll lay it at your feet now. I am yielding to that now and saying, God, your will be done, not mine. And here's the second. And this is one of the more unusual points I've done in a while. This is a point that has multiple blanks. When's the last time you've seen me do that? Awesome stuff. Number two, it acknowledges... The, results. the first being, we're powerless to change. Here are the results. The reason is we have a sin nature. Here are the results of that sin nature apart from Christ Jesus. Powerlessness to change. That's what Paul is speaking on. If the Apostle Paul can say this, if he can say that the disciple of disciples, if you will, he says, no, in verse 18, I do not have the ability to change. He says in verse 23, I am captive. These words have the intent to mean I am unable, I am powerless, I do not have the strength nor the capacity to carry these things out. I'm going to continue to do the things I hate to do, even though I want to do better. I want to treat my kids better. I want to speak more kindly to my wife. I want to be more generous. I want to work harder at work. And then I get to work, and apart from Christ, I get lazy all over again. I can't stand my co-workers all over again. These Things are true in some capacity for all of us. Powerlessness to change. And then it results in bad habits. Let me pop this up. It results in bad habits. Verse 19, Paul himself says, So then I keep on doing. Look at that, verse 19. I keep on doing the very things. So he's saying it's not just that I stumble from time to time. It's that the very things I hate, I keep on doing them. Which means I've created a habit, a terrible habit. Doing the very evil, keep on doing the very evil I didn't want to do. And then number, the the third part of this results is frustration. Frustration. This is what he means when he says in verse 23 that there's a, a law of sin waging war against me. Do any of you feel like you don't necessarily even need anybody outside of your realm to already be at war? Am I the only crazy one? I hope not. I don't really need anything outside of me to make my life a mess. I'm good at it all by myself. There's a a war inside of my soul, a war in my spirit that's one side is Christ Jesus saying, You are loved, you are saved, you are free, you are mine. You're an eternal being with an eternal destination. You are more, and I love you completely, more than you could understand. And then there's this other side that says you're stuck. You're a mess. You've done this your whole life. There's a war inside of me. Now, certainly circumstances and and things outside of me can cause, can manipulate that, and cause prick me all over again, but I don't need any of y'all to make my life a mess. I do it all by myself. I don't need something terrible to happen for me to not go, okay, I am in desperate need of a Savior. Because look in here. This word in verse 23 is the word anti-stratumai. That anti, anti is where we, we understand that, to be against, anti. Strato is strategy. It's like such a cool word to be against, to have a strategy against someone. That means internally Paul is saying there is something working against me. It's strategizing It's making a mess. This is the sinful nature. And it's frustrating. Do you see his frustration? I think that's why here Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, kind of has this back and forth, several lines of it, so that we could feel his frustration. The very one we have. I do the thing I don't want to do. The thing I want to do, I don't do. And I end up doing the thing I hate. I keep on doing it. Do you? You feel that tension. It's my life. Verse 24, the fourth thing comes true. He says it results in being miserable. We don't use this word a lot. He said, wretched man. Y'all can bring that back if you want. Man, that's wretched. That's a great word. That word literally means to be beaten down. To be beaten down, to be in a deep affliction He said, I am in a dark place. I am am in a deep, dark place. Miserable, wretched. That was all meant to build up all of that language was meant to build to this place where you finally say, I know who I am. I'm a broken man. I know what that causes in my life. It causes me to feel powerless. It causes me to lead into bad habits. It causes me to frust- be frustrated. And I take that on, out, out on, especially I take that out on the people I love most. And then it causes me to be miserable. Miserable. And all of these things are true. And if we're honest and we come to this place of honesty, we can finally be blessed, those who are poor in spirit, because we can say, okay, God, I recognize I'm a mess. (laughs) My problem is sin, and it has resulted in an absolute mess. The chief result of sin being this, death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm not just talking about physical death, which we will all face. No, Paul is here talking about a spiritual death, something worse. That the eventual state of my sin will be a full-on eternal state of death. This is a fact. And not acknowledging this... Not coming to a place of admittance and repentance. That's repentance truly, my friends. If you want to know what it means to repent, it means first saying, not okay. You don't get to repentance without that step. And here's what the psalmist writes in Psalm 32. There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day and all night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord and you forgave me. And you forgave me. All my guilt is now gone. Have you ever experienced the freedom of repentance? If you haven't, you don't know what you're missing. The freedom of finally, not just repentance to God, the most important repentance, but the kind of repentance you can get with others. That you've been hanging on to something I've never forgiven. I've never talked to my father, my mother, that that person that hurt me years ago, that, that ex-spouse, that... There's no forgiveness there, and it's it's breeded this bitterness in you that the other person may not even have or know about. And you are holding on to it with your powerlessness, your bad habits, your frustration, and your miserable. I will confess them to the Lord, he says, and you forgave me. I found that for some reason, and it's God's grace and his alone, when when I confess, God forgives. He does it. He does it every time. John says, it as a promise in 1 John, he says, those who confess their sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. He does it every time. Will you confess? Say, here's me. I hear two phrases around my house by my children. Um, Two phrases that I would say are some of the most frustrating phrases I hear. You probably heard them as a parent. You may hear them currently as a parent. Uh, something will go wrong. Someone will hit someone. Someone will spill something. Someone will break something. Someone will make, do something that causes me to, to have to intervene. And I will hear one of two phrases. One, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Well, I, in this case, I literally watched you do it. So I, is there something inhabiting your body and making your body move? Um, now, if they heard this message, they'd say, oh, That's the sinful nature. That would be, be difficult. I'd have to wrestle with that. Um, it's not my fault. Or, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Two phrases that, that frustrate me And this message, I think for the first time, has helped me understand why I'm so frustrated by them. Because I'm not God. I'm certainly not. I'm not the Heavenly Father. But I am His steward to these little people. He has placed me in the father role of these to hopefully point them to him. And so now I am hearing from them the very things I say to him. Oh yeah, I just kicked, I just, I just made this awful mess, God, but just so you know, I didn't mean to. I wonder how that makes him feel. Well, I'll tell you how it makes him feel. He had to die for me because I didn't mean to. He had to take on the excruciating pain of the cross because it's not my fault, but it is only my fault. It's only my fault. My sin nature is mine. These are two phrases I don't want my kids to live by. Never owning up to anything. Y'all run into anybody like this ever in your life? The kind of person who just doesn't own any of their mistakes. This is just so you know, is one of the symptoms of narcissism. The kind of person who will never admit guilt, who will never apologize. for, And if they do apologize, it's simply for manipulation. This is not a good trait. And you know people like this. Understand, that is not Christ-like. And if you have that attitude with others, you probably have it with God. It's something to bring to the table today and say, God, I need to be honest with you and myself. It is my fault. It is my fault. And when I made that big mess... When I started doing it, I did mean to. I meant to do it. And I'm ashamed that I did. Y'all feeling heavy yet? Everything feeling heavy? I see the weight on your shoulders. Paul doesn't leave you there. The word of God has never left you there, my friends. The third thing is true, and this is this. It confesses our need for a rescue. Our rescue being Jesus Christ. Savior of the world, he does not leave us hanging. Nor does Paul leave us hanging. He says in verse 24, Who will deliver me from this body of death? The word deliver there is ruchamai, which means to rescue, to deliver. It seems to have this Holy Spirit. Ruach means spirit in the Hebrew. Perhaps there's some connection there. It's this idea of bring me out, rescue me, deliver me. And he says to that, this astounding, if, if it, I don't know if it's supposed to be an exclamation, but it is in the English and it ought to be. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who's going to take care of this mess? God, look at this. I do the very thing I hate. I, I keep doing it. I'm, I'm, in this, I'm all in my head about it. I'm a captive and yet, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who can rescue us. That very verse in another translation says, What an unhappy man I am who will rescue me from this body that is taking me to death. But thanks be to God who does this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what's true of us, my friends. This is just a fact. And take it, take it or, or, and deal with it or leave it. But if you leave it, it remains true that we are, we are like two people There's really only two types of people in the room, two types of people in any room you ever go to. There's one person who falls in a lake with weights on his legs and he can't swim. And then there's another person who falls in a lake with weights on his legs who can swim. Just so you know, the outcome is the same. They both drown. However, the one who falls in the lake with weights on his legs who can't swim, will immediately cry out for help. That is the person who Christ says is poor in spirit. That person gets saved and quickly. The other person may, as they're reaching the bottom of the lake with all of their wonderful technique, God, I am so strong. God, I can do the butterfly stroke. It doesn't do me so much good. I'm a champion freestyle swimmer. Too much weight. Won't matter. And somewhere bubbling down at the bottom, God help me. That person too may be saved if they will eventually be poor in spirit and say, I have weights on my feet and no matter how hard I swim, I can't recover. But here's the good news, my friends. You don't have to think yourself so strong. You don't have to go bubbling, drowning through the rest of your days until you finally say, as we all will eventually, just so you know, we will all eventually say, I need a rescue in this life or the next, but we will all say it. But rather than drown all life, why not go ahead and say, you know what? I can't swim. I can't swim. To to which Paul says, that's the very notion of being poor in spirit. I know my disposition. I know my problem in Christ. I need you desperately. This is a place that leads to less suffering. It just does. Or even in spite of the pains and sorrows of your life, it finally gives you reason, purpose, and hope in them. We're all struggling with pains and sufferings and death and grief. Every human being is struggling with that in some capacity. But what Christ does is he comes in and gives it purpose, meaning, and hope. And not only that, I feel the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome things I never thought I could overcome. It's just a fact I know I'm drowning. I know I've got weights on my ankles. And I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm asking you, my friend, will you stop waiting? Stop saying, no, I can swim. No, you can't swim. Confess your need for a rescue. I want to give an opportunity for you guys that something to consider. Because some of you in the room, well, all of us in the room are struggling with this in some capacity. But perhaps for you, you're in a very stuck place right now. We're moving our Celebrate Recovery ministry from Friday nights to Thursday nights. We're really trying to get this thing off the ground at our Wilson campus. And perhaps those three lists I shared at the beginning, those are the model three lists for this ministry. It's not just for addiction. It's for any of those things that maybe you are completely stuck on. And it's an eight-step process to help you recover through that. I want to pop up a few of their thoughts. Um, This first one is... The first step to recovery is the very thing that we've been wrestling with today, and that is, I have to realize I'm not God. I have to admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. Pop up the next thing. Then I come to a place of admittance where I say, I'm powerless to change my past, I'm powerless to control other people, and I'm powerless to truly cope with my harmful habits. There's an opportunity for you, my friends, if you're really in a stuck place, to get help along with other fellow seekers and believers who, who would like to very much overcome this anger, this depression, this addiction. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank from your three lists. And if Thursday nights in Wilson don't work for you, I know that my brother over in, at Inglewood Baptist Church has a Tuesday night. And so if you want to know more information about that, get with me after service. This is an opportunity for you to really get healing and recover in Christ Jesus. Admitting we're powerless is an act of humility. It puts us in the position to really receive God's grace. James writes this, verse 6 of chapter 4, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This, this is grace, my friends. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God in spite of your position. This is how we've all come here today. We've all come with brokenness. But will we leave With repentance. Well, we leave saying, I can't swim. I am drowning. But. But Jesus. The greatest news. Every time that appears in your Bible and the Bible says, but God. Is the greatest thing. The greatest information that everything that was wrong, we have a rescuer. We can't swim, but he can. And he removes the weights so that we might follow him. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, I'm asking first and foremost this morning that you would continue to show us your mercy and grace. This is a challenging thing for me to be reminded of as I come up here to preach your word, the thing I believe you've called me to do, but I know in myself and my spirit I am a broken man. I am a humble servant and nothing more There's a lot of things in my life that feel like they would disqualify me personally. The way, the things, the things that come to mind, the very things, as Paul said, that I hate, I do at times. The things I really want to do, I don't even have the ability to do them at times. And yet, I'm trusting this, God. I'm trusting this. First and foremost, that you saved me, that you love me in spite of me, that your grace is sufficient. I believe that today. And I believe that you saved each and every one of us in this place. When we put our faith in you, that our repentance, our confession of faith, sets us free. As Paul said, thanks be to our Lord Jesus Christ. You have done it. I believe that. Lord, show us grace. For that dear friend today who's come in this place, and maybe for a long time they've been lying to themselves. They know there's an issue. They've been seeing it for years. But they've been walking away from it. When they look in that mirror, they say, I don't want to look at that right now. Walk off. They've been telling other people it's okay. Or maybe even blaming people for those things. God, I pray this message today would not leave them ashamed or guilty, but rather encouraged, knowing that I don't have to be that anymore. I'm not stuck. I may have felt like a captive for a while, but I'm not a captive. Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, my friend, you've been walking a long time in that pain and that sin and that brokenness, and you've been walking away from it, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to make Christ Jesus your Lord and Savior. For the first time in your life, to finally come clean and say, I'm not enough, God, and I'm in desperate need for a rescue. If that's you, my dear friend, pray along with me. Lord Jesus I believe that you are my Savior, that you died on the cross for my sin, my brokenness, the stuff we've been talking about today, God, I I have so many of those faults, so many of those flaws, Jesus. And yet here I here I stand before you, praying this prayer of confession. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. And yet I know this, Jesus, you paid for it on the cross. And you freed me from that captivity. And God, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. This morning I'm putting my hope and my faith in that. That not only, Christ, have you paid for my sin, but you've also risen from the grave and given me hope for a future. A future beyond this life. Now, God, I ask, would you continue to guide my life? Having saved me and set me free, would you now help me to live into that freedom? Dear friend, if you prayed that with me just now, welcome to the family of God. And we're all praying that again and again, God. (laughs) Again and again, we say, Lord, you are my Savior, you are my Lord, and would you help me to live out that freedom that, that you've given? In fact, you say in your word, God, it is for freedom's sake that you've set us free. Is for the the very ability for us to live freely that you've done it, that you set us free from captivity. God, help us as Christians, as your church, to live that out in a way that's captivating to the lost world, that they would see this and go, okay, here's a fellow struggler, a fellow broken man, but he's dealing with it differently than me. He's dealing with it with hope and conviction and integrity. I pray you would set us apart, apart as your church. That people would know us by our conviction, that they would know us by our love, that they would know us by our actions, which are empowered by your Holy Spirit. God, do a work in us. I'm praying for that person this morning that's come in this place, that, that fellow believer, and they are deeply stuck in some hurt, some hang up, some habit. God, would you free them? Would you begin to remove those shackles even now that they would feel a sense of you at work in their life? Convict them right where they need to be. Convict them. Help them to deal with the issue that's underneath the problem. Maybe this this thing, they're treating it with some coping mechanism, but the real problem is underneath. Would you point it out to them right now? Help them to see it. Give them conviction there. And then empower them to work on it, trusting you and your grace and your mercy. Continue to do a great work in us, Lord. We are your people, your humble servants, and we love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.